Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. And the title of today's podcast is Emotionally Healthy Hiring, Paid or Volunteer. This is part two. But before I begin, however, I just need to make a note. Uh, I live here in Queens, uh, New York, and I happen to live near two international airports, LaGuardia and Kennedy. And occasionally they shift the flight paths of those planes to go right over my house. So you're going to be hearing planes probably every five or six minutes here along the podcast. So welcome to my little office here on the third floor of my house in Queens. Good to have you here. Now, today's podcast on Emotionally Healthy Hiring Part 2 uh, relates to building a team, a volunteer team, or of course, uh, making hires for employment. The principles are, are, the, are similar. And it's perhaps the most difficult part of leading or pastoring a church or a nonprofit in the marketplace, uh, even, even the marketplace as a Christian, is hiring uh, people. And the reason is because uh, as we hire, it's actually revealing a, a large window into the depth of our own maturity, our own interior lives, our being, our depth, or our shallowness, of course, of our spirituality and our relationship with Jesus is really touching on profound issues. And so the way we do hiring or build a team, the pace of it, the process uh, on which we select and develop people or don't develop people says a lot about our theology and our trust in God, as we began to see last week in part one. Now, listen, you can Google articles uh, about hiring or building teams. You can you can even get an M- take an MBA course on it. You can read books on it. Uh, but what I'm getting at here in emotionally healthy hiring is, is the application of a deep spirituality uh, a transformative discipleship model that we call emotionally healthy discipleship, really doing it out of a biblical or a theological paradigm. Things like be before you do and slow down for loving union with Jesus and lead out of your marriage or the, the place or our singleness and, and the place of the contemplative and being still and silent before God, his sovereignty, etc. So you know, my qualifications for this podcast is that I have over 40 years of mistakes and bad decisions. I've also made a few good ones as well. But definitely in the last 15 to 20 years, I've made great progress. And actually, I wish I heard this talk uh, from part one last week and this week uh, when I was in my 20s, 30s, or early 40s. So last week, we touched on seven principles. And I encourage you to go back and listen to part one. Uh, We talked about test running before you commit. Don't hire on potential alone. Expect a four-year runway. Understand your power as a supervisor or a boss. Include multiple people in the interview process. Diligently follow through on references and approach hiring as a discernment process, both for you and for them. So today I'm going to launch into the remaining six principles uh, and uh, I'll talk about them with you. This is really, it's quite a bit, these 13 as a whole. So let's go into, let's launch into today. Number one, uh, take into account their season of life and yours. Take into account their season of life and yours. In other words, people come to us uh, at a certain point in their journey, uh, their journey of life and their journey with God. And it's very important that you take that into account. So, uh, for example, it, uh, I can think of someone who, who came to a um, friend of mine who uh, this fellow had worked in higher education for decades and had a, a vast institutional knowledge of uh, how to build uh, a university and all the uh, the complexities of that oh, over decades. And now he 
uh, was in his mid-50s, and considering a transition to uh, an executive pastor role. Uh, and it just was important that uh, my friend take that into account that he was not, he didn't feel a particular call to be an executive pastor. He could do it, obviously. Uh, but it was just taking that into account in his, his final decades of his life, uh, his good stewardship of that and where he was in his journey. Uh, I can think of another instance where I didn't take it into account, and it was a uh, a young person in their actually early 40s um, who was looking for an opportunity to really build something. They had been consistently in a in a fourth or fifth chair in an organization, was going to have a chance to be in a number two chair and build. Um, and uh, they were coming into uh, possibly something like an EH discipleship where they could build something as a number two person but I wasn't looking to build anything uh, or anything large at all that they wanted to get their teeth into and realize we're just in, she's in a different season than I'm in, uh, in my own life. And so it wasn't a good fit. I know many folks who launch people out to be pastors and church plants uh, or hire folks as pastors and churches, but they're really young. They're in their 20s. Uh, perhaps or early 30s, and they're just kind of trying on vocational pastoring. They're actually quite, they're not sure. Well, it's really important to take that into account, the season of their lives, versus another person might be in their, you know, in their late 20s or early 30s, and they, they have a, a genuine vocational call for life to be a pastor leader. Because if you hire someone who's just kind of checking it out, you put them in a position of influence, and then you find out, if they find out after three years, I don't really want to do this anymore, or five years or seven years, uh, and then they move on. Well, you've got yourself a situation that's very difficult, so uh, in terms of stability. I underestimated this thing of taking into account people's seasons of life uh, to my detriment in the early years because people would come to New York, want to be in leadership. Uh, they'd leave their... Uh, where they lived, whatever part of the country, their community, and their sp- they come with their spouses often and children. They're hitting a new place like New York and new educational system. And the, and it's one thing, the romantic part of moving to New York and being part of what we were doing here in a multiracial context. It's one thing to come for a year, two, three years, even five years. It's another thing to come and live here for a couple of decades. People came with illusions. Um, and their season of life, they were young and just starting out as families and uh, many of them uh, did not stay, uh, and it was disruptive. It was difficult. And I also came to the place realizing I'm at my own journey with God, and there were times when, when uh, you know, I would come into something, uh, where am I at in my journey? So, for example, when I was in my 20s, I went on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and uh, my role was to plant new Christian fellowships uh, around New York uh, and New, New Jersey. And uh, I was so excited because, because this fellow brought me on, hired me, and gave me this opportunity. Uh, here's four colleges or universities. Go and plant Christian fellowships there. I loved it. There was little supervision. I think I saw him five or six times over a year. Uh, he gave me total freedom. Uh, there wasn't really any development. It's kind of just on-the-job training, but I loved it. That's where I was in the season of life. But I can think of... Uh, two or three other people that came on the same time I did with pretty much the same job description, but they their season was they were also in their 20s, but they wanted to be mentored. They wanted close supervision. They wanted direct guidance on what to do. Uh, that was a season they were in, and uh, they ended up quitting. You know, just When they left, they were very bitter and very angry because of their expectations not being met. Okay, so that's number one. Uh, take into account the season of life they're in and you're in. Number two is every person you hire principle-wise, every person you hire deserves an investment of time, energy, and money. 
this is a core part of what it means to be a, a Christian leader. What makes us, I think, quite different than perhaps you know, the, the, the secular world is that we develop people like Jesus. We, we, we follow Jesus and his modeling of the 12, he invested in a few. Uh, that's core to what we do as leaders. In other words, especially our team, we're resourcing them. We're, we're thinking of them. People don't come to us fully formed. It's never happened to me in my lifetime. You hire someone or bring someone to your team as a volunteer and they're fully formed on what to do in that role. Even if they come with great experience, they have to learn your unique culture and ways of doing things. I didn't do this in my early years and I paid for it dearly. Um, often not right away, but later, because I, I was just so happy. I just wanted relief. Someone was here to do the job. So instead of thinking, I hired this leader for this role or ministry, and now I don't have to think about it. Now you have a development plan for them. Personally, you're thinking about them for their personal lives and their role. And you take time and energy for this. How can they grow? How can they mature? How can they develop personally? And how can they develop and grow and mature in their role? Maybe it's courses or cohorts or other mentors you can network them with. And that's why it's important to have a development fund. You're investing money in it. Uh, it's a great use of money. That's why people who are on, I believe, on a church staff for years, long term, you want to give them sabbaticals uh, for three, four months so they can really take some significant leaps forward in maturity. There's two supervision questions. I, I always you know, encourage folks to build into uh, your supervision of people that are reporting to you. One is, a per the two questions are personal. You're going to ask about their inner life. How are your rhythms with Jesus? Uh, and then secondly is how's your singleness or marriage? Uh, how are your rhythms there as well? So you're concerned about their personal life because you know the their outer work flows in their inner life. And then you're going to ask them about their role, their challenges, their priorities, dealing with that whole thing of their role. So it's both personal and role. So at the same time, you're observing and you're looking for discipleship moments with them as you're because you want to invest time, energy and, and money in them. So you care for them. You love them. So when someone says they're going to do something and they don't, that's a discipleship moment. You take the time. You don't just you'll just you'll just say, ah, oh, whatever. You know, you ask them, like, what happened? Tell me what's the roots of it. What was going on in your mind? Uh, or someone's exhausted uh, or irritable in a staff meeting. Uh, you actually follow it up afterwards. Say, hey, what's going on? How are you? Or as in my case, I, I someone on, our, on my team had a car full of traffic tickets. Uh, opened their glove compartment. There was one of my 10, 20, 30 parking tickets in there. Uh, well, that was a uh, an opportunity to ask about what was going on. At the time, of course, I didn't ask. I just closed the glove compartment and hoped it would disappear. It didn't. Or someone uh, is in financial debt, uh, significant credit card debt. Uh, these are discipleship moments to talk about money. And, uh, you know, Luke 16 and how we steward our finances and uh, is what enables us to, for God to entrust us with true riches and, again, resource them to get that area of their life under control. But you're looking for places they can grow. At the same time, it can be very difficult. I remember I had you know, one person reporting to me who just, I, I, I consistently felt judged by, judged by them. And they, they just had a sharpness or a, a harshness, on the, an edge to them that I knew everyone else felt. But they were just so gifted and perceptive and discerning. And uh, so after much thought and prayer, I finally went to them uh, and shared with them this. I said, this is how I experience you. Uh, 
when I'm with you, I feel criticized or, or judged. Uh, and I re that was my work to, in a sense, differentiate from them uh, and give them some feedback of what it's like to be with them. And I suspect no one had done that before for them in their lives, or very few people had. Uh, and it was a gift I was giving them. And it was a wonderful conversation we had after that. And exact, in fact, when we don't do this for gifted people uh, who are very charismatic, uh, and if you're a board member listening to them, we actually do them damage. Uh, you want to be having a development plan. If you're a board member for your uh, your CEO, your lead pastor, uh, and uh, when it's not done for anyone who's reporting to you, uh, inevitably it leads to great damage down the road, or often it leads to great damage down the road. All right, let's move on to the third um, principle here today in part two of Emotionally Healthy Hiring. That's this. Get clear about your values and expectations. Get clear about your values and expectations. Now, uh, writing a good job description is hard. Uh, it can be really hard uh, to wrestle with what's the role that needs to be filled. It can take multiple drafts, getting input from other people. I didn't do it well for years. It was something you can learn. I needed to learn it. But equally important, if not more important, is to get clear about your values and your expectations. In fact, this is so big uh, that I actually spent um, a great deal of time on it myself uh, and put it together into a pastoral staff rule of life. I worked on it for a couple of years with myself, the board, the team itself, and wrote a rule of life for pastoral teams, guidelines for being together. Uh, and I actually did it for administrative teams as well as the board uh, over time. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it right now uh, and I'm going to invite you to actually download and take a look at it as a, as a sample uh, on our website. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash rule. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash rule. And you're actually going to see um, a fuller expression of what I'm talking about right now when I talk about getting clear about your values and expectations. Uh, again, emotionallyhealthy.org slash rule. So I built this on Benedict's rule uh, from the 500s on his four categories of prayer, rest, relationships, and works. And, um, uh, and and so I wanted to give people a sense of what's the values I have uh, as a leader of a team and what it looked like. So here is a few a few I focuses that I put here on the on this rule of life. Uh, there was a being focus and then there was a doing focus. So the being focus was, you know, how do we keep Jesus at the center of everything we do? So it talked about things like under prayer, things like scripture, silence and solitude, the daily office and, and study. That people spend time in scripture, they spend time in silence and stillness. People would have one day a month to be alone with God in silence and stillness and scripture. Uh, that was part of being on the staff. Uh, that people would engage in daily offices, you know, two or three times a day, stopping to be with Jesus. And they would also study. They would be reading and learning uh, as part of their life with God. And then under rest, there was things like Sabbath and simplicity financially and play and recreation that uh, people are going to have, you're on the staff, you're going to actually not, your life is not going to be all work. You're going to have a rhythm of work and, and Sabbath. You're going to model a 24-hour period of letting it all go to let God replenish your soil. And then in the relationships, uh, there was things like emotional health, that we were going to live out uh, the emotionally healthy relationship skills uh, that are taught as part of the uh, discipleship course. In other words, that we speak clearly, respectfully, and honestly. The eight skills, we fight cleanly, not dirty. We, we avoid making assumptions without checking them out. We clarify expectations in all relationships. We, we listen uh, we're present with each other. So these, this is part of our, the expectation or value of how we operate as a team. 
in, in terms of family. There was an expectation about uh, whether single or married, you're leading out of a, a sign and wonder at your singleness and marriage. And then in terms of community, that you're, uh, you've got some community even outside of our fellowship, maybe with spiritual directors or mentors or counselors or mature friends, but um, you're, you're accessing community in a healthy way. And then in terms of your service and your work, you're, uh, you're negotiating your JD on a consistent basis, clarifying expectations, and you're taking care of your physical body. So that's all under being. It gives you a taste of it. And then under our doing, um, I actually clarified the different roles. And I'm going to read to you just uh, three short paragraphs. And again, you can access this in the document when you download it you know, for free on our website. But here's what it says. And again, this is in light of paid uh, employees uh, uh, in our church. And actually, it applies for our nonprofit EH discipleship as well right now. So, right, it says this, using their God-given talents, our members work and serve as volunteers out of a sense of passion and mission. We too work and serve out of a sense of passion and mission. Nevertheless, we function in a dual relationship with the board and congregation as employees. In fact, we have at least three roles in the community. We're family members, leaders in the church family, and employees. And these roles carry challenges on how we relate to each other, and to the church. And every year we're set apart by the board of elders to serve the body in a unique way. Whether full or half time, we're given a salary. Uh, the body as a whole supports us financially so we can devote ourselves to our calling. This is our privilege and joy. Uh, and so we long to see you growing in your respective role. At the same time, the board is responsible for the stewardship of the church resources in this dynamic environment. And our call from God to pastoral leadership may last our entire lives, regardless of our employment, yet we recognize the fit of what the church needs and desires may change over time. Thus, our status as employees is subject to the direction God's taken the church, her resources, and our leadership development. Therefore, we're subject to periodic reviews regarding our job description, status, and contract. Again, let me just invite you to download a full copy of the document. It gives you a frame of reference, reference not as this should, be, this should be yours, but it'll help you get started to think about what are my values and expectations for my team. Uh, and then you can adjust it and make it your own as you join, invite people to join. So again, it's called Rule of Life for Pastoral Teams, Guidelines for Being Together. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash rule. Let's move on to the fourth principle today, and it's called determine if their marriage or singleness can bear the weight of the role. Determine if their marriage or singleness can bear the weight of the role. In other words, uh, being in leadership is a weight, it's a pressure. Uh, church ministry can be intense. It's unlike other, quote, jobs out there. Uh, and I made hires for years without taking this into account, or else I did it in a very perfunctory well way. Uh, I remember one person in early years, and uh, he was coming on as a teaching pastor, and he said everything was great with his marriage. He even preached, talked about it and publicly, and all being good. And we did a perfunctory interview with the spouse. Uh, and then within the first month or two of his beginning on staff, after he'd been publicly presented, uh, she left him, uh, and it turned out there was a whole lot of problems uh, underneath the hood of that marriage, and it was very embarrassing. We did not do our homework on that. I had a person volunteering who was formerly a senior executive in a Fortune 500 company, and uh, he volunteered for years, a day a week, uh, with us, really 
taught me a lot about finances and you know, legal issues uh, in the early years of our church. Little did I know that he was, as he was driving in to see us, uh, he was also um, stopping to see uh, someone other than his wife. And he was involved in an affair for many years that came out uh, as he was dying. Uh, very embarrassing. Again, I wasn't asking hard, hard questions because he was older than me and obviously he had a lot of resources um, financially that I liked. I liked having around, but uh, it was my bad uh, not asking those kinds of hard questions. And again, I just, again, there are times I've had spouses, uh, married folks who with small children, and it wasn't the season of life for them to be on a church staff, uh, just the nature of how many kids they had, uh, the sp- their spouse's needs, uh, that it wasn't a good fit to be out nights, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's got to be, you know, looked at. And sometimes spouses are living separate lives in, in, a, in a separate lives in a really unhealthy way. That's got to be looked at. And again, I... Had situations where a person's had a difficult marriage, but at least they were in reality. They were doing their part in it. So it's such a large issue that we actually began to require that people, uh, as part of their hiring process, would see a professional marriage and family uh, therapist uh, that we worked in conjunction with to just, he, he would give us a sense that their marriage or singleness could bear the weight or pressure of the role they were entering into, again, depending on the role. Very, very helpful. All right, fifth principle is this. Don't rush to fill a vacancy with the wrong person. Don't rush to fill a vacancy with the wrong person. It is better to leave a position vacant than fill it with the wrong person. Oh boy, I know I've done it. Out of impatience primarily. In fact, I started making a list. I had a list of eight uh, times I did it and I did it within three minutes. I didn't spend any more time on it, but um, it's, you know, we settle uh, because we want it filled so badly and we end up, uh, as I did so often, like Abraham, uh, instead of waiting for God's promise after 11 years, uh, he just had a child with Hagar and Ishmael was birthed. He was 86 years old and yet God used, yes, God used it for good. He always does, but there was so much pain. I know that pain well. Scripture is really clear that a prudent person thinks long-term and plans. They're not hasty. You know, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, Proverbs 14, 8. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Haste leads to poverty. <laughs> sloppy plan, that's, that's Proverbs 21, 5. So often we set, we're sloppily planning, we're quick Uh, We have unrealistic goals and timetables that we set in our own brain, and then we just move quickly. Here's what happens. When we rush to fill a vacancy and the wrong person gets in there, there's no longer space for God's person to emerge or even a different configuration for the team that you were building or thinking about building. I've done it right a few times where I've given God the space, waited, uh, and the right person has emerged. Uh, It rarely happened quickly. Um, and I've had a, 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 a one situation in particular where the position was vacant. I kind of kept my pinky in it as waiting. And then a volunteer emerged, a super high capacity volunteer who ended up on the organizational chart, not paid and did an incredible job for a number of years. The principle is this. God's not in a rush. We wait on the Lord. We can relax. I love Psalm 130. And this is worth, um, you know, 
memorizing where David prays, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Wow. Now, our sixth and final principle here for emotionally healthy hiring, at least, is worth its own podcast, I think. It's called, number. It's the final one for today, it's called Embrace the Sovereignty of God. Embrace the Sovereignty of God. Boy, that's a big one. In other words, the timing that God has for the person. But not only that, the question is, does God want you to have that person? God may not want to bring that person to you right now or ever, actually, or you may want to bring you a person less flashy than you would like. You know, for years, many years, I wanted a super high-level executive uh, pastor alongside myself. I mean, I'm talking, you know, and I had a, uh, you know, I had a, a few at different, you know, over the years. But I wanted someone really as competent as someone like Ruth. Ruth runs our uh, EH discipleship course and uh, ministry. And uh, she's executive director. She's incredibly competent. Uh, and it's interesting. God brought her to me after 26 years at New Life Fellowship. And we were just launching EH Discipleship. And uh, I was 57 years old. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I said, if God had brought her to me when I was in my early 30s, New Life Fellowship would have been thousands and thousands and thousands of people, multi-site. Who knows what would have happened? Because she's so incredibly gifted. And the two of us together were just a, a unique combination. But I realized, and I realized that what was going on, that God did not want to bring that person to me, at least the person I would have thought, I thought I would have loved to have had. Um, and uh, it was in the sovereignty of God because he had a different plan for what I was to build at New Life, which was depth, uh, which was quality. We were pioneering a level of discipleship that you're now enjoying here uh, uh, in these years. But you know, New Life was not to be 10,000 people. It wasn't to be this huge church planting movement out of our church. Now, it's planting churches now, and, and I've been gone now a number of years, and a lot of things that I dreamed of uh, are happening in this generation, but it wasn't mine in mine to happen. I remember a denominational church planting director came to me while I was pastoring at the church, and he said to me it was almost a sin that I didn't go multi-site because of our incredible DNA at the church at the time. But I knew it wasn't mine to do, and I had a vision and call for church planting. It just wasn't mine to do it right now. And uh, I was to grow new life slowly and maturity, and, and, uh, but I was just very aware of what my piece was, that Jerry and I were research and development people, and we were doing a high-quality, in-depth church. We grew in number, but slowly. You see, we don't define success from a worldly point of view. You can be growing in number and failing. You could be diminishing in number and succeeding, at least in God's eyes. There's a danger of pushing it. Just remember the story of David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He wants to build a temple for God. He's the king. Everything's going fantastic. All the neighboring kingdoms have temples for their gods. He wants to help people get to the living God of Israel. But God says to him, no. Uh, and uh, no to his dream. But David surrenders to that. He lets himself be stopped by God. Uh, and uh, his son Solomon's to do it after he's dead. And I just think of that verse in Romans 11, 11, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. In other words, what God thinks and decides where he's going, it, it's, 
it's utterly beyond us. And from earth, we have no vantage point from which we can look down on the on a large of what God's doing in the world and in human history and actually see it. We can trust him uh, and we can embrace the sovereignty of God. And our calling is to relax, to trust him, uh, to relax in Jesus. John 6, uh, 28 and 29, that's our work is to is to be trusting him, to be and I like the Frederick uh, Dale Bruner's, the theologian's translation of to be trusting in Jesus is to relaxing uh, in Jesus. This is our first work. Or I love the theological scholar Peter Craigie in the Word Biblical Commentary on Psalms. He translates Psalms 46.10 as relax and know that I am God. I love that. Our work is to relax in the sovereignty of God and surrender our will to his will, the unfolding of events. And we don't attach ourselves to any goal, but we trust God. He's orchestrating the big picture for our good. Uh, we, we, in a sense, we have a detached activism. We don't manipulate things. And we're listening to Jesus. Uh, we're not following our, our thoughts. We're following him. And uh, we're not in charge. He is. So again, let me invite you as we close here to download uh, that, uh, that free resource we've got for you this week, which is a rule of life for pastoral teams, guidelines for being together, uh, at emotionallyhealthy.org slash rule. It'll give you an excellent uh, way to get started on clarifying your values and your expectations. So again, we talked today about taking into account the season of life of the people you're hiring as well as yourself. Every person deserves an investment of time, energy, and money. Get clear about your values and expectations. Again, that's part of that download. Determine if their marriage or singleness can bear the weight of the role. Don't rush to fill a vacancy. Uh, uh, with it, with the wrong person and then embrace the sovereignty of God. I hope this has been helpful. Feel free to uh, email me any kind of questions you might have around this. I mean, this is a vast topic. Just you know, send it to askpete at emotionallyhealthy.org and uh, maybe I'll respond to it in a future podcast. But thank you so much for being uh, with me. I've so enjoyed these two podcasts um, and putting it together. Uh, it's kind of been a breakthrough for me as well. And I realized, wow, this really is a high level application of everything we're talking about in this podcast called Emotionally Healthy Leader. So thank you so much for being with us. Have a wonderful day.